welcome back to Monster Movie House, the radio show that loves all things cinema, but particularly genre cinema. Tom, thank you for joining us on the ah, show once again. Good to be here. I'm of sorry. course. I always I call you Tom, so I should probably say your last name for the people who are just tuning if they, in. If they're interested, yeah, go Tom ahead. Tom Hammond. That's me. Uh, yes, fellow scriptwriting professor here at UT. And speaking of UT, thank you so much to our sponsors, UT, and also uh, Mascot TV, the streaming TV channel, for being our sponsors for the show. And uh, the great streaming TV channel. I listen. I'm involved working with them, so I'm not allowed to say it, but okay. I encourage. But you I to. can. Um, and with us this week is a special guest. Um, it's someone who you, if you follow uh, Blu-rays at all, especially if you follow sort of the boutique Blu-ray industry, the people who are doing God's work out there, finding titles for us that are, um, I don't know, how would you say it? They're, they're um, films that aren't lost. They're films that have been sometimes unfortunately forgotten. Uh, sometimes uh, happily they have been uh, embraced by these people and brought to people who didn't know about them. People who are just watching streaming services and don't know that all these fantastic movies um, aren't on streaming services and if you don't seek them out, you won't find them. Um, it's His name is Brad Henderson. He works with Vinegar Syndrome who puts out some fantastic titles like uh, The Beyond. He puts out uh, Two Evil Eyes. Uh, my One of my personal favorites which is Lost Forever. I found a trailer of it years ago and had never seen the movie. is an American hippie in Israel which is a ridiculously awesome movie. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much. So, Tom, uh, as we always do, we dive into physical media at the beginning, but this is an interesting episode because we're talking to someone who is intricately involved in actually producing physical media. So while we're still going to have an opening segment that discusses our physical media that we brought with us, the rest of the episode is actually going to be talking about the creation of it, uh, why we love it, that sort of thing. So it's going to be pretty fun. But... Before we dive headlong into the fantastic titles that we have on, on hand today, I did want to mention, uh, I don't know why I didn't think of mentioning this when we talked about it last week, uh, the Halloween episode, but uh, my new series on Mascot TV premiered on Saturday night at 9 o'clock. It's called The Cult Of, and it is, uh, I guess you would call it a retrospective trailer series. The premise is each episode focuses on a single year in the history of cinema. And the year we focused on for this episode was 1978. Well, the first half of 1978. Part two is coming out this coming Saturday. And the premise of the series is basically to sort of divide them by categories. You've got your horror movies. We have a section called Carmageddon, which is just for all those sort of like great uh, trucker movies, CB radio movies, cross-country race movies, that sort of thing. And we break them all by category. And we usually show two or three from each category. But that premiered Saturday at 9. And you can see it on our YouTube page, the mascot page. But what I wanted to mention, since I didn't mention it last week, is that every Saturday of November, we're going to be premiering a new episode of it. And I will be live tweeting. So if you're on Twitter... Feel free to follow along or check out, uh, let's see, Roku, Apple TV, and the website, mascottv.net, where it's broadcasting. You can find it. What was the title of um, the one with <clears throat> Donnie and Marie Osmond? Yes. Uh, I believe it's called Going Coconuts. Oh. And uh, it's so weird because it's like a the, the trailer sells it like it's a combination of Mel Brooks and Alfred Hitchcock, which I feel like is maybe gilding the lily a bit much for uh, an Osmond family film. But it's a really fun trailer. Uh, but anyway, so I just wanted to mention that. Please feel free to check that out. And now, without further ado, why don't we dive into the physical media. Should I go first? Yeah. This beloved oh, yeah. title. Well, I, I want to hear it. Yeah, I, I was waiting. Happy. I've been waiting all week. We're lucky. This is not out yet. I was able to get an advanced copy of this. This will be out later in November. But the title is Ega. 
And for any any who doesn't know this, you might recognize the title a little bit, and you're not sure why. It's because you saw an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 about EGA. That's probably why you know what it is. Um, but the thing that I'm so excited about regarding EGA is, first of all, it does have the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version on it. But this is a uh, it's a special edition that is. Uh, I want to say it's a yeah, it's a really nice 4K transfer, which is I'm always amazed at what films are quote-unquote deserving of the 4K transfer. Mostly it's because we just want to keep it for future generations. But I love that Ega, the movie starring uh, Jaws, from the, the henchman from the James Bond films as a, as a giant caveman, uh, somehow mixed into a, what would you call it, like a sop, sock hop musical? I don't Palm, know exa- Palm Springs Weekend. Yeah, exactly. Like the, those two uh, genres sort of like uncomfortably mashing together um, gets this sort of loving treatment, which we're kind of going to talk about some other titles that are fun in different ways that get that treatment. But this is coming out. It has an interview with Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 talking about it and an interview with Arch Hall Jr., who we were discussing earlier. He's actually on here discussing the film. How old is he now? Good question. I didn't watch the, the bonus feature. I just watched the movie itself, so I haven't seen that feature yet. But I will, I will certainly be checking it out because the funniest thing about it, and I hope he addresses this, is that he is in the film and his dad, Arch Hall Sr., basically did everything else involved in the film. He wrote it? He wrote it, he directed it, he produced it, all under like weird pseudonyms because he wanted it to look like a, a legitimate springboard for his son. I believe for his musical career was the goal. Um, and so much as we have found, like with uh, Zodiac Killer, these movies have, uh, uh, fast, they're fascinating films, but they also have fascinating backgrounds behind them. And sometimes that's that adds a lot to the viewing, knowing the motivations of the people who are creating them to begin with. Well, Arch Hall Jr. actually performs three songs in this, doesn't he? He does indeed, yes. yes. Uh, and um, I'm looking at the back of it, and I'm trying to see if there's anything else. I was hoping, I was fingers crossed, that we were going to maybe get like uh, music videos specifically of those songs. We do not get the music videos. However, having this film in, in as good a quality as it is, uh, is uh, for me, it's enough. Well, it's time that somebody made a musical video. Maybe we can make a music video for one of the songs. <laughs> put it up, put it on ourselves, right? Absolutely. How could we possibly get in trouble for that? But anyway, so keep an eye out on that. I think that'll be the second or third week of November that that drops, and it's definitely worth acquiring. The film detective all, often finds titles like this that sort of slip through the cracks that people know but aren't super famous enough to like get picked up by a major company, um, and I thought that was a fun one. Uh, so moving on, do you want to dive into? I love the the spe- the ends of the spectrum you went to with the two. Oh yeah, uh, the First, quality ends of the spectrum. Should I go to the uh, ridiculous or the sublime? <laughs> I will okay. allow you to choose, okay. and I'll also allow you to define it because who knows what other people find well, sublime? True, very true. Well, we'll try the sublime first. All right, and this is a Criterion uh, disc, a Blu-ray edition of A Matter of Life and Death, which was released in this country as Stairway to Heaven, uh, starring. Uh, uh, Kim Hunter and uh, Peter or David Niven, uh, Raymond Massey, and it's a romantic fantasy. It's a film by uh, shot by Jack Cardiff in Technicolor, through old three strip Technicolor, and it's gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. And the uh, the footage that takes place on the Earth is in uh, this beautiful Technicolor. And when they go to heaven for this trial about whether this the the our hero should have to go back or, or die or, or stay alive because he's fallen in love uh, and that's his defense. I've fallen in love when I was, you know, when I should have been dead, I fell in love and it's too late. And uh, they go to heaven and heaven's in black and white. And uh, all the photography is beautiful. And it's a really charming uh, 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 Powell and Pressburger film. It was made in 1945, released in 46, right at the end of World War II. 
uh, uh, request from the government to Powell and Pressburger to make the uh, the re to do something that would make the relationship between the British and the Americans all on British soil uh, more uh, smoother. It was starting to wear thin, evidently. Right. All the American, all the GIs there, and there was a lot of tension, evidently. And they said, we've got to do something to ease this off. So there's a lot of political commentary. In other words, the Americans were wearing out their welcome. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Well, yes. Let's just say that's probably right. And that's, that's a Criterion disc, you said? Yes, it is. Which I imagine is choking with special features. Oh, right? yeah. It's got, uh, I think it's got a, a full audio commentary by a film scholar, and it has interviews with Scorsese and uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, who is Scorsese's editor, and of course she was married to Michael Powell. Right, exactly. And it's got a couple of documentaries. It's got a restoration demonstration. It's got, and it's got a, 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 a the South Bank show with uh, featuring Michael Powell from 1986. Yeah. So uh, it's got a lot of stuff. I imagine it looks fantastic. Cardiff stuff working with them was amazing. Oh. The red shoes and uh, black narcissus, like everything that they shot was beautiful. Gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful stuff. All right. And, and so moving oh, on to the other sublime. The other sublime. This is actually tremendous. I, I would have purchased this anyway, but the pop-up cover, uh, and it's unfortunately, I'll, I'll hold it up for the camera that we do have here. It's um, a giant gorilla framed against a purple sky uh, filled with lightning bolts chasing a uh, scantily clad blonde through the jungle. And it's all a pop-up and it's all three-dimensional. I almost want to not tell anybody what the title of the set is now and just make them see if they can figure it out based on context. It is. It's, it includes ten, count them ten, great gorilla movies. Uh, Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. Have you ever seen that? I have not. I oh. noticed that you must be using the great with the quotations around it again. Well, again, <laughs> maybe I've done, might be doing that. Um, uh, that's uh, that's that's an interesting in, in its own right. And of course, he's got the gorilla with the Ritz brothers. It has the ape man with Bela Lugosi. Mm -hmm. It has Bride of the Gorilla with Lon Chaney Jr. It has the ape with Boris Karloff, and it has uh, Nobanga with Buster Crab. And the others are without. Oh no! I'm sorry. It's uh, Law of the Jungle with Mantan Moreland, which is in here too. So basically, every great horror icon has made a movie with a gorilla. Absolutely, and the, most of the gorillas in here are played by Ray, Ray Crash Corrigan. Uh, <laughs> That's a fantastic piece of knowledge, isn't that something? And I looked up uh, his filmography, and it was easy to tell when he was playing the gorilla because it usually said gorilla so and so, gorilla this, gorilla that, and uh, 25 at least listed his in his uh, IMB, IMBD. Uh, filmography. He had a gorilla suit. He had more than one. And, you know, the producers would say, we need, we got a gorilla in here. Call Ray. You know, call, call Crash. And he'd show up with his gorilla suit. So he was the Andy Circus of his day, you're saying? Absolutely. And he, uh, his last appearance was in, in costume was not as a gorilla, but it was as the monster in It, the terror from beyond space which is the sort of precursor to the aliens. Right. right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, with Marshall Thompson and uh, Ray Crash Corrigan in his monster suit. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. He finally, he finally stepped up in his career. Yeah, right? and this Mom also had, includes uh, the white gorilla and white pongo. And um, I did go through and uh, to see, I went through the IMDb and to see if any of these have lower ratings than EGA. <laughs> and none of them did. Uh, the closest was Savage, the Savage Girl, uh, uh, says here, a wild goddess rules the jungle. Anyway, that is, I think, rated at 2.5. Uh, 
and Ega is 2.1. All right, so dubious victory for me then. Absolutely, Ega right. wins. Fantastic. Okay. And that's right. uh, what I have. Today. And so that box set is called the Sons of Kong. Sons of Kong. Yeah. Yeah, 10. Count them 10. Gorilla Spectacular. Gorilla films. Spectaculars. Have you, have you watched? Any of them? <laughs> oh, let's see. Because I I've seen mm. I've seen uh, Lugosi and the Ape. Yeah, the Ape Man is the one with the, the Brooklyn Gorilla. Is that the one with the two guys that were like the low rent Martin and Lewis <laughs> ripoff? They were uh, Duke Mitchell and Sammy Petrillo. Yes, and they were like a weird Martin and Lewis sort of like I don't. They're not a parody, but they were like basically just sort of stealing their act. Well, Duke Mitchell was a, a really really low rent Dean Martin. He right. sang, and but Sammy Petrillo looked almost exactly like Jerry Lewis. And he had the mannerisms of the kid, you know, the yeah. character Jerry played down down pat. I mean, and Jerry actually sued him, <laughs> and, you know, and which is not very because I saw an interview with Sammy uh, Petrillo, and he said, you know, it really wasn't very nice. He said I was a I was way down on the totem pole and uh, entertainment. I wasn't yeah. making much money doing this, but it was my livelihood, and they took it away from me, you know. So he. He quit show business after that, I believe. Man, I'm trying to imagine a, someone who could do like could you could you do that as a career now? Like, is there somebody who could just like emulate another, literally emulate their act and just star in a film doing it? I, I don't know. I, I can think of people that play other people that, right. that are have but a to that extent where they're like yeah. Alec Baldwin doing Trump. But you know, right? But yeah, but no, no. This is this is unique. So, what do you think though? Out of the ten, how many of those do you think you've seen? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I've seen Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. I've seen The Ape Man. I've seen White Pongo. <laughs> a good third so far. Yeah, White Pongo. That's three. And I think I've seen uh, Nobonga. But there's a bunch of uh, 30s and 40s movies that have titles like Nobonga. Right. You know? <laughs> they were the Django of their genre. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so let's say four out of ten. Enough. But I so will. We'll, I will. Uh, we'll create a weekly gorilla update. Where over you can the next six years, I will probably watch the other six. Yeah. Exactly. So point. Well, so moving on from our, our amateur uh, understanding of Blu-rays to someone who's an expert in the field, I think you brought some titles with you, right, Brian? Yeah, they're, you they're secret. They're in a bag. I know exactly. know what they are. Yeah, they haven't even told, <laughs> he hasn't even told us. That's why I was hurrying to get to it, because I'm like, uh, it's right. like a kid at Christmas. All right, so the, the first one I have is from uh, Scorpion Releasing. Um, it's an uh, old AIP. Uh, I always like closing and opening. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, Act of Vengeance. So it's a... Um, that's a uh, is that a, that's a rape revenge film, right? Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's yeah. Originally, um, they released it as Act of Vengeance uh, because the original title was Rape Squad. That AIP right. got very um, they got cold feet during that because they were like, we don't really want to do that. Yeah, imagine that. So they released it as Act of Vengeance, and it kind of failed. So they pulled it from the box office and then re-released it as Rape Squad in order to maybe stir up, you know, some controversy or right. something as as far as. Uh, Get somebody you know, clutching their pearls about it, yeah. right? Yeah, just just trying to get the word out there. So it's uh, it's very standard. It's um, uh, it's from 1974. It's directed by uh, Bob Killijan, I believe. He directed uh, um, the Count of Yorga. Then oh, right, Count Yorga Vampire, Vampire. Yeah. Then the sequel, and then he actually directed the sequel to uh, Blackula Scream. Blackula Scream. This was his fourth film. And uh, it's very, it's unlike those other three. Yeah. It's just a very standard uh, procedural uh, as far as the police are concerned. But it also just kind of shows, it, it's it's kind of funny, not funny, it's kind of uh, eye-opening watching something from 1974 that treats 
a subject like this where it's completely dismissed by the police. Yeah. Like, you know, she, she goes in and he's, and, you know, everybody's looking at her and they poke fun, they make jokes, they don't believe her. You know, they're like, how do you prove this? And, you know, she's really torn up about it. So basically she uh, is in a, um, where they do a lineup. Right. Um, and this guy actually wears a hockey mask. It predates, predates uh, Friday the 13th. Right. He's, I saw that. Yeah, he's got the a hockey mask on. And um, so they have a lineup and they have everybody put uh, hockey the hockey mask on and actually read basically, um, you know, some lines that they remember that the, the rapist said. Um and so in that lineup, they decide to band together because they... The victims. Yeah, they yeah. don't see a justice happening. So they have these uh, four recent victims. And so they band together and they form a thing called a rape squad. And they take uh, self-defense courses and the self-defense person uh, actually joins the squad. And um, they just, enough is enough. So they basically stop as soon as like anybody says any off-color comments. They you know, address it right away. And um, so very much, uh, there's a movie from the 80s, uh, I think 1986, called Ladies Club, mm-hmm. which is a similar yep. kind of plot where women band together. And I like that one because they actually cut off the the, the men's uh, balls. Right. You know, can I swear Just, on this? Is that yeah. allowed? Uh, oh, we can, I could say balls? Yeah, you can okay. say balls. Okay, sure. I could yeah. say balls. I'll, I'll refrain from saying anything else. Um <laughs> But anyways, uh, back to Active Vengeance, uh, they, um, yeah, they just go after the guy. Yeah. And they also, along the way, if anybody has complaints or anything like that, as far as, like, this guy is, you know, bad news, they pay him a visit. That's Uh fantastic. I wonder, I don't know if either of you guys watched the TV show Barry, but there was an entire thread in this last season where the lead actress is offered a new part in a show, and the show is literally like what you're describing. It's about a bunch of women who have been attacked who become vigilantes, but on the show... It's about she just did this really like heartfelt monologue about this assault that happened to her, and this is the thing she she's offered as a result of like burying herself is like what feels like a '70s exploitation grindhouse movie that a Ryan Murphy style television creator is trying to make on TV, and it's really funny, and it sort of echoes that idea of the the, the weird uh, shift in uh, I guess you would say in, in subject matter and tone and level of comfort we have mm-hmm. with discussing subject matter like that. That literally that would basically be the pitch that was on the show. Yeah, and and for the film being in the 70s it's not it's it's horrific what the the attacker is doing but it's not very um i don't know it's not i spit on your grave type stuff. right it's not sort of you know everything's pretty much off screen um aside from him grabbing him and he makes them uh sing jingle bells (laughs) while he's attacking them and then he whistles it later on a weird, Which weird thing. So like, I wonder if that's inspired by M, right? Like uh, yeah, Peter Laurie whistling as he goes to attack the kids. Or the Lucio like Fulci movie. movie with the uh, Donald Duck voice. Oh, that's right. Oh, the, <laughs> yeah. Um, New York Ripper. Yeah, New, New York, York Ripper. Ripper yeah. yeah. But um, it's really funny because the, the, the attacker wears a bright orange jumpsuit and a hockey mask. So I don't know how he's trying to be secretive about anything he's doing or leaving the scene. That. Yeah, wow. But, um, yeah, it's it's a really, really good movie. Um, and it's, it's, it's for anybody that likes that kind of genre, mm-hmm. it's definitely uh, right up there. Yeah, and that so. genre has resurfaced a little bit with recent titles like Revenge, where I think yeah. it's sort of getting reevaluated and, and recognized as not solely just exploitation anymore. 
Right. And honestly, I prefer the 70s and 80s stuff because there's uh, not so much of, you know, the male gaze, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Revenge, I thought, was it, it was directed by... Um, Cor a woman, Corley Fargate, yeah. But I still like there were still shots in there. I was like, this feels like it's a, still, yeah. a guy's a guy's you know fantasy. Yeah, and I wonder sometimes you know, you know if it's a female director, is she is she pointing it out or is she? Yeah, well, I, I wonder. You know, I, I kind of weighed that even with uh, something like Amy Holden with Slumber Party Massacre, right? Where it's directed, written, and written directed uh, or written by uh, Rita Mae Brown and mm -hmm. then uh, directed by Amy Holden. And they do, there's that shot when they're in the shower which just focused on their breasts. Mm -hmm. And then it pans to each one without actually showing their face of dialogue. Yeah. Almost poking fun right. at these types of, you know, slashers. Yeah, for sure. So, so and yeah, then, so that's, uh, a, that's a good title. Next up was, uh, I always feel like this film doesn't get enough credit, was uh, Hill, Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Um, so this is which version? Because there are two two Hills Have Eyes 2, right? Yeah, this is the the Wes Craven yeah. Um, directed. Just, yeah, just want to make sure everybody knew which uh, one. Yeah, we were so this about. is um, again, Arrow always outdoes themselves with everything with with you know articles and booklets and uh, posters and just the the boxes alone. They're just so nice. Um, but uh, I always feel the Hills Have Eyes Part Two never gets any credit, mainly because Wes Craven kind of discounts it himself. Right. I think he didn't um, even want to make this one. It was a contractual obligation or something. Uh, well, he didn't. He didn't want to make it, but he was broke. He needed money. Oh, so that's what it was. Okay. Being the success of the Hills Have Eyes, he decided the Hills Have Eyes Part Part Two, and this is before Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So even though it's released afterwards, um, it was actually in production uh, before Nightmare on Elm Street. And with the success of Nightmare on Elm Street, he was prompted to kind of finish this. And one of the reasons why there's flashbacks and things to get the running time to its full capacity. There's actually a really good, uh, I wouldn't say documentary, but it's uh, a mixture of interviews of various people that worked on the films from Peter Block to um, kind of his right-hand man to a couple of the actors, Michael Berryman and the... the um, the uh, actress that plays Ruby in the first one, mm -hmm. and she actually plays in this one. Um, but I always like the film because it's you know it's the uh, Pluto didn't die, and there's also a another uh, a guy called the Reaper. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's basically just two of them. And uh, Bobby is actually Bobby's in the first film or the second film too. It's just he's only in the beginning because he had another film he was making. So he kind of makes a cameo. He makes a special gas. Um, that they use for uh, uh, motorcycles, and um, so they they uh, they're going on this cross country. They happen to go through the same yeah. basically <laughs> hills that have eyes uh, from from the first film, and then they get attacked. Um, and uh, you know it's it's funny because uh, Harry Manfredini did the soundtrack, which he just came off of. Uh, um, uh, kind of the he recycled a bunch of stuff for uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Right. It was basically he's using an uh, I believe it's called the MX Seven uh, mm -hmm. keyboard. He was using uh, to score some of his films. He almost actually scored Nightmare on Elm Street. Come yeah. to find out uh, from this uh, movie because he was did that and then he was sent the script for Nightmare on Elm Street. And he was like, Wes, this is amazing, and almost actually got the gig. But eventually, it went to Charles Bernstein, I believe, right. was the guy who scored that. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's really well done. It's the only film that uh, actually show a uh, dog flashback. I was just gonna say it's so, my favorite so, part. It's the dog yeah, flashback. So, yeah, so Beast actually survives from the first. That's always all I liked about the first film. Multiple survivors. Beast survives. Beast is in this one. So it's actually three people: R- Ruby, Bobby, and Beast. Which is uh, pretty impressive. That yeah, there are three people that survive from the original. Right. Yeah, and it's um and and Beast is great because they like get him back. He, he's in. I tell you, Beast has killed more people in the hills <laughs> than actual people have. Yeah, like uh, so, I, I think he is like body counts like up to four. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so I also disable uh, Michael Berryman in the first one, Beast. Yeah, he um, he he attacks him because uh, Michael, I believe Pluto has a flashback in this one, and then Beast has the flashback of atta- attacking Pluto. Yeah, because um, yeah, so he sees he sees Pluto, and then he has the flashback uh, to it. Yeah. But I've always enjoyed the film because I think it's like you know it's. People always say it's you know the Silent Night Deadly Night two, which Silent Night Deadly Night it's literally eighty percent of it is a flashback from right. the first film. This was honestly like twenty percent. Yeah, and not probably not even that. Yeah, I think we're just so focused on that because Wes, Cra- Wes Craven basically said you know I don't really like this film anymore. I was you know had to do it for money, but I honestly think it's really really well done for what they had. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's not a clip show. It's mostly yeah. new material. Yeah, yeah, I do think it's funny. It's one of only two dogs I've ever seen do flashbacks. This is the only movie one, oh. but there was a TV show called okay. Chips the War Dog, <laughs> and it was about a dog who had gone to war, and there were literal flashbacks of him like remembering like tra- uh, traumas during war. Oh, man. I-, I saw that as a child. That's like that's when I saw it, and I just remember thinking, that's horrifying. Although I will say, it was one of the things that made me start thinking about the interior lives of animals. So I don't know. Maybe it did do a service for me. And, and the thing, what I've always liked, the hills have eyes more than most of these, uh, you know, hills, backwoods, slashers, whatever it may be, is that I'm a big dog guy. Mm-hmm. I love, love animals in general, but love dogs. And anytime a dog can take down multiple people and yep. the dog doesn't die. Yep. Thumbs up. Yeah, there was know? a there was a movie I watched as a kid. I, nobody seems to remember this anymore. It was a film called The Adventures of the Wilderness Family, and it was about this dad who moved their family out to the middle of the woods. And it was basically it was like a family film. But every time there was a danger, there was a bear, there was a cougar, whatever. There was that the household dog had to like chase, and they had shots where there was literally like a dog. I think it was like a, a like a yellow lab or something, like literally chasing a bear off their property. And I remember thinking like that's awesome for a movie, but at the same time, like my producer brain, you know, as an adult thinking mm-hmm. back on. Oh my God! Those animals were and people were in such danger because this is like 1972. This is an independently filmed movie. God knows there may have been many dogs that didn't survive that shoot for all we yeah. know. So it's something I always uh, like. Completely off topic is just because we're talking about dogs. Is the film Bad Moon mm, where yes. the dog protects the family from the werewolf? Thor. But yeah, the, the book um, Thor is actually completely from the dog's pr- perspective. Yep. The novel, and it's just like mind blowing that that exists. And I read that, and it was like he's trying to decide: like, is the werewolf his family? Mm-hmm. Like, part of his pack is the family his his pack? You know? And yeah. it's just like that's crazy. Yeah. And they didn't really do that in the movie. No, for but, sure. You know, I, obviously you couldn't. Well, I, I guess like maybe now you could. you could. I think you we're could at the technological. Now. I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'll do it. It is decided today. <laughs> stamped. Improved. All right. So before we go to the break, you have any other titles we want to go? Well, over uh, I'm just. These are for you guys. Oh. So you can divvy them up. Uh, this is uh, two recent uh, Tom Vinegar Syndrome titles, which means uh, I think Tom gets them. So uh, it's um. Is Berserker that a Beyond the Door title? And Beyond the Door three. Oh man, that's so, fantastic. So uh, yeah, a Muck Train, um, which is Beyond the Door three and Berserker. I uh, produce all the special features on 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 nice. both of those films, um, just because they've always been. Uh, you know, kind of important to me, mainly Berserker, 
because I grew up with that, and uh, it was a film that you could never really tell what was going on because it's filmed <laughs> completely at night and uh, just always had a poor VHS release, and then it never saw the light of day after that. So uh, it was yeah, great artwork. Yeah, multiple yeah. Um, interviews on Berserker three three to be exact, and then uh, um, or four, and then uh, three uh, on Beyond the Door three. I actually conducted two of them on uh, Berserker um, and Beyond the Door three. We had uh, Jeff Quitney who. Who uh, um, directed the film? Bo uh, Sebson, which is a wonderful gentleman, um, loved working with him, and uh, Aldolfo Batoli, who who shot the film. Actually, the interview was conducted in Italy. Um, I arranged that, which Man. is kind of crazy. I remember that it was the witchcraft films and the Beyond the Door films were ones that were like mainstays at the video store that was right around the corner from my house. Uh, I was not old enough to work there, but I yeah. would constantly be pulling the boxes for those off the shelves. My I was. My parents were strict uh, Christian at the time, so I did, I was never able to see anything. So that would always be the things that I would like grab and read the back of the box yeah. when my parents weren't looking. So that's yeah, that's fantastic. And Beyond the Door Three, if anybody is you know, when uh, if anybody is interested in the film, it's actually a standalone sequel. None of the Beyond the Doors yeah. films relate to one another. But yeah, the second one was Mario Bava, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was a shock. Shock. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So um, yeah, you guys. Uh, each well. This take, is a perfect time to take a couple uh, a couple of minutes of a music break, or so we can fight. Exactly, I can fight over these, through these discs. Yeah. But when we come back, we're actually going to be talking to Brad in some more detail about maybe these titles and a lot more of what he does over at Vinegar Syndrome. We'll be right back. Every night of the week, Mascot TV delivers a triple feature marathon of three classic cult or exploitation films, starting at nine o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Complete with trailers, intros, vintage commercial breaks, and original programming that continues to share the love of these oddball movie gems, Mascot TV is your one-stop cult cinema shop. You can find Mascot TV on your Roku or Apple TV device, or you can watch it online at mascottv.net. So visit the website to see the upcoming nightly marathon schedules, and we will see you at the movies. All right, and we are back. Um, so first of all, I just realized something we talked about off break, which I feel terrible about because um, we were talking about Vinegar Syndrome, and I'm looking because I was looking at their page because this is where I flip through oftentimes, and I'll go to the the staff pick section. What I didn't realize is in the staff pick section, it's not just picks of the titles at, from their company, but it's like titles from all over the place. And so, of course, the first three that I picked out were the ones that were from various places. But the thing that I do want to point out, well, I think that's awesome that you guys do that because it's one of the things that is sort of troubling about the physical media industry is that um, not not in the boutique label industry what you guys do but it, like in the rest of the arena of you know like with Disney titles and things like that it's such a competitive market that people are constantly trying to push others out because there's only so much space for people to buy physical media so the fact that you guys the ones that are doing the hard work of bringing titles that have been lost are also supporting each other and getting those lost titles out or those underseen titles out so while it made me look like a real ass for having <laughs> mentioned the wrong titles no, it's, a, it's a good it's a good segue because I mean like you said with, with us we we don't we don't look at it as a competition um, because we're all in it for the same game. We want to you know preserve and restore all films, right? You know, and and the only way I mean one company can't do it all, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's we support many other labels. We work closely with other labels. You know, if you, if you go on our website and you can check under lab work. 
you can see, um, you know, we worked with other companies with different scans and uh, helped them with the restoration. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're not like that at all. It's not a competition. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're all in it for the same, same thing. I mean, there's obviously films that we're like, oh man, we wish we would have done that. Right. But I mean, honestly, if we can help out in, in any way, you know, we, 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 we try. So, um, yeah, it's a good segue. Yeah. At least. <laughs> exactly. You know, My and also our, 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 on our website, on our store, um, we have various, not everything in there in the store is something we worked on, but we actually provide a service in order to get, uh, other films, um, across the country, so we have international shipping. So it's a it's a it's a it's another just basically a store that people can go to get our titles and pick up. You know, we have Criterion titles in there, Kino, um, various various other boutique labels, um, just because we we want to do it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the best place probably to start when talking about vinegar syndrome is well, let's talk about the name vinegar syndrome first before we even talk about the company. Actually, Tom, because you used to be a collector. I used to collect uh, sixteen millimeter. Yeah, and I had at one point before I sold my collection, I had about two hundred titles, and about eighty of them I think were features. And I had a bunch of serial chapters. I had cartoons, short comedies, Laurel and Hardy, things like that. But the vinegar syndrome was, was uh, you know, that's something that film collectors, celluloid collectors, would know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an actual condition that affects celluloid film, and it starts to get a, a smell, very vinegary. Actually, they turn to vinegar almost, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I forget the chemistry of the thing, but everybody uh, that's into it has a, a cure for vinegar syndrome, and there's no cure from what I understand. At least there isn't now. I don't know. There, there wasn't when I was doing it. Hmm. But if you have, uh, if you buy a print and it's got a little bit of vinegar to it, uh, you're supposed to keep it in a separate room and run it on a separate projector and everything else because it can infect right. other uh, other prints that you have, even if they're stored in cans. Right. So, so, uh, the, so the name of the company comes from this unfortunate circumstance that comes right. about from a, a, a sort of if it's some, something sits fallow or isn't taken care of for long enough, it start it becomes victim of vinegar syndrome. And the reason why I, the reason I like that that's the title of it is because it's at the same time it's talking about this problem. It's also sort of like the thing that's going to save us from the problem in some ways. You know what I mean? Like the the goal of this company, as with many, um, I, I don't know, is there a specific term? For uh, for what you do, that's uh, the way that your labels work or your label works. Unlike a company like, let's say, Genius Products, that just puts out whatever new title from the Weinstein Company, you know, something like that. That's a bad choice. Um, <laughs> but whatever company, like they already have a deal with a company, and every new movie that comes out, right? That's that's so that's just Blu-ray releasing. Is there a specific title for what you guys do, which is like finding things that either haven't been released or rights have to be secured, or like, is there a specific term that separates that from just the guys that just put whatever new crap comes out? Preservationists. Preservationists. Yeah. yeah, I would I would say it would be the best way to describe yeah. it. Which is, so basically that's what you guys do. So you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing in Blu-ray, which is putting out a great transfer of a movie, but you're also doing a huge amount of legwork beforehand in finding them and securing the rights to them and creating all the features and stuff like that. Can you tell us how it was that you first, A, became aware of Vinegar Syndrome and then how you became involved with them? Yeah, it was um, I was uh, a writer uh, for uh, a few different websites as far as like reviewing stuff mainly because I've always enjoyed films. And my big thing was was uh, kind of picking stuff that's never been on DVD, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of spotlighting, uh, only released on VHS titles. That was kind of my my thing. And this was you know years and years ago. 
Um, and so I was on Amazon one day, and it was, uh, you know, the recommends or you would like this or other customers bought this. There was Night Train to Terror on Blu-ray, and I was like, why is that there? Like, who released Night Train? I wanted to make sure it was legit, number one. Um, and then I looked and I saw, you know, the company. I scrolled down to the description, went to the website, and was like, holy crap. You know, this is only, only had a few titles at the time. You mm -hmm. know, this is their first year that they were, um, you know, actively putting out uh, titles under Vinegar Syndrome. And so uh, I emailed them and said, well, this is my thing. Like, this is what I grew up on. Um, you know, I, I still to this day, I haven't seen films like The Little Mermaid or things like that because mm -hmm. my, my mother, she didn't like that. She didn't like cartoons. So she raised me on, um, we had little mom and pop video stores and she raised me on the exact titles that we're releasing, like Berserker, uh, when I was a little kid. So um, that so, said... That's a good parent. Yeah. So that said... <laughs> You know, I emailed uh, Vinegar Syndrome, and who I was speaking to was James Narath, who's who's still with us, who's uh, a very good friend friend of mine. Um, he, uh, I said, I, I would love to talk about these more, you know, and I already made the purchase, Night Train on Terror, and he was like, yeah, here. So he sent me a box, basically, of their titles, and there was pornography in there, and I was like, I don't know how to review <laughs> pornography for a website, but I'll do it. And so basically just became um, kind of uh, one of the very first people that was reviewing Vinegar Syndrome titles. And then I became a beta tester for Exploitation TV when that launched. And um, I, uh, on the Exploitation, this is kind of where it really f went further, was there was um, uh, The House of the Dead mm -hmm. was, was a film that was on Exploitation TV and that wasn't out yet on uh, Blu-ray. Right. And I said, wait a second. If you guys are doing House of the Dead, I would like to do anything of any capacity because that was a film that I grew up on. Right. You know, it's a horror anthology from, from the 70s. And um, they were like, yeah, you know, we'll keep that in mind. And uh, eventually, you know, things, one thing led to another. And then I was given um, a task on uh, uh, the film The Undertaker that we released. Mm -hmm. um, you want me to dive into the please yes okay. yeah so um, yeah this is the 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 thing i was hoping we were most to get at was the idea of what's the behind the scenes of that yeah. right because we can buy it i can look at this and i can see what you shot and what you put out but the logistics yeah. of how it happens is fascinating so um they did uh, they got the negative of uh the undertaker which was uh never released on vhs uh only released in theaters at the time um, and the first time ever that it was released on any physical format was Code Red did it on DVD. Right. But it was heavily cut. And so they got the negative, and they scanned it, and they realized that the negative, of all things, had been cut, which is very odd. Um, so they were like, well, what do we do? So the only thing that we could think about is, uh, I can't remember the editor right now, but the editor possibly made a copy because there was bootlegs of this film on VHS. The uncut version. Right, yeah. so of, uh, of the film. So they said, well, if you can find the editor and see if he maybe has something, you know, maybe the footage himself or possibly maybe a, a copy because most editors make a copy after they cut the film. And so I <laughs> took me like two months to find this guy, and I finally did. And he was in his eighties and like living in New York. And um, he helped me. Uh, he he looked, and he didn't have anything. He spent 
a couple weeks, called his kids to help him with a lot of his material that was in his attic. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't have it. Um, and we did we did know where to grab something digitally, mm-hmm. uh, but we wanted to actually source it right. from a tape because that was the you know the cleanest. Yeah, and it wasn't something that was duplicated you know thousands and thousands right. of times. Just it trying was, to get back to the cleanest. It was literally version. just a few of these copies, probably out in the wild. Yeah. So then I went to um, uh, my closed VHS collectors. And uh, I know about five of them who have countless titles. And uh, four out of five didn't have it, except one guy, Art Ettinger, who had an actual copy and no label, no nothing. He just <laughs> he had a copy, and we overnighted it to uh, the headquarters and got the footage. So if you watch The Undertaker, that's the reason why the quality dips down really low, because it's actually sourced from a VHS. And it's... I don't know, 15, 20 minutes is missing from the movie. Wow. So the director was really happy. Vinegar Syndrome was really happy. And they were like, oh, Brad's just not full of crap. Like, he actually might know what he's doing here. And eventually one job led to another, finding people. That's initially what I started doing. Um, You know, because a lot of these, a lot of the actors are one-offs. The directors are one-offs. Producers and whatnot. And um, even if they're not one-offs, they stopped acting in the 80s mm-hmm. or 90s. And, um, you know, they're not on social media. You know, they're elderly. They're, they're not, you know, tapping away on Twitter or anything like that. Right. So, that, you know, they're kind of hard to find. So I, like Liam Neeson, I have a certain set of skills <laughs> that, uh, you know, I'm able to find uh, people. So watch out. Um, and uh, that's what I started doing. I was like a headhunter is what I called it. Yeah. And... Um, then they were like, well, if you can find people, what if you can find rights? And I was like, yeah, that's. I've always had a passion to do this. I almost started up a, uh, a company myself like Vinegar Syndrome. I wanted to do it. I calculated how much it would be. And I, for the very first film I was going to go after was House of the Dead, so it made sense. Um, but honestly, working out my home and what I wanted to do, I realized this would cost... You know, yeah. a ridiculous amount of money. So I scrapped it and eventually did the next best thing is working with somebody that uh, already had something going. Yeah, they had the infrastructure built. The passion was already there. Yeah, and you could so just join the- eventually uh, now I do um, acquisitions. I find people and I'm, um, I guess you could say I'm the head of special feature production, I guess. Uh, work closely with a few other people, but I mean, I guess that's my title. Yeah. I just do it whatever I'm told, really. <laughs> I show up on you the know. day. Yeah, yeah. Do what needs to get accomplished. I recommend a movie. They say, yeah, let's do it. I find the rights. We find the negative. We scan it. We do a deal. And then we, you know, yeah. find the people and put it out. Yeah. So one of the things that occurs to me, and when I first started thinking about this, I started thinking, well, there's at a certain point, you're going you're gonna to run out of titles, right? There's only so many. But I realized the eras that you're talking about, there's the exploitation boom. There's the video boom. There are so many titles that either only ever made it to, like you said, that first one, which was just on film, or only made it to VHS, or maybe got a really uh, low-rent DVD version has never come to Blu-ray. There are so many... I don't think people realize the attrition rate when a new format comes along for the number of titles from the last format that haven't made the cut. It's it's unreal to think about how many titles are, uh, are languishing in just sort of this weird uh, purgatory. 
Uh, and so I'm curious, how do you how do you go about a? Do you go back to old formats to find them? Do you like where do, where does the resource come for titles to begin with? For you to just even come up with names to suggest, like where do you look for that kind of stuff? Uh, for for films? Yeah, like if you're looking for stuff for the to release. Um, I mean, honestly, we haven't really scoured the internet yet. It's just from all of us combined, our our minds. Um, uh, I noticed that you had a uh, suggestion. We, we actually yeah. do look at that, and we have a running list, and if something is requested a lot, we do actually look for it. So that's not a waste, like a lot of suggestion box or comment boxes at a restaurant or right. whatever that no one ever looks at, um, or your job, <laughs> I guess you could yeah. say. No one really cares, but we actually do. We, um, Whenever that's filled out, we have a running tally. Um, if something is requested quite a bit, then we definitely look into it, even if it's something that's, one, not on our radar, something that we thought would be... A, a good seller because I mean we're a preservation um, company but we also have to you know pay the bills and be able right. to keep going so we don't want to you know do something that's just going to completely bomb or has one request just because it's a passion project or something right. like that which um, you know we honestly I, I look at it sometimes as uh, kind of like an uh, the way that we acquire films and release films is that we do things maybe they're like, oh, that's not vinegar. But it's also kind of the same way as an actor chooses the big blockbuster movie mm-hmm. to do for indies. Right, You know, exactly. that's their main passion. So, I mean, even like that, it's like something like, oh, this this is a good title for us. You know, this right. this will do well. Even if we're not all over out and all in love with it, we'll still do yeah. it, you know, because one, the audience wants it, and two, it's going to, you know, able to do these, like, three or other four little films that exactly. maybe won't be as popular, but at least it will hit that crowd. You know, we also have a very, you know, uh, we're not all, we're not global. Well, right. We are global, but we don't have, we just have that one group of audience. So we have to, you know, keep on and we, we try to, as much as we can expand that, right. which is one reason why I'm excited about Tammy because that's putting us in the oh, for sure. minds and eyes of other people that weren't really familiar maybe with vinegar syndrome or physical media so yeah you no, know, definitely. well I mean really God, happy about that Criterion Collection put out Armageddon you know what I mean so every yeah, every rock. place has yeah. a title that you put out because you know you're going to uh, expand your footprint they put and out The Rock too right exactly yeah, uh, so, well, so one of the things that always interests me, because you were just talking about, you know, finding people, right? Like to find the directors and see if you can find uh, the, you know, best versions of it and everything. But the thing that always blows my mind, and you mentioned it just in passing, and I don't know if this will be too dry, but I'm fascinated by it, which is having to track down the rights to something. Especially when, especially from the 70s through to the 90s, there were so many independent titles that were funded by somebody's dentist or were picked up by a place that did this, that, or the other with it, and then who knows where the rights are tied up in. What What is the process of even figuring that out? I, I have to imagine there have been titles you guys have wanted to do and just weren't able to sort that mess out, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a nightmare sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's really easy. You know, you call up the producer, do you own this? Yep. Oh, all right. I have the negative too. Oh, wow. That yeah. is very rare. Yeah. But sometimes that does happen. Um, but honestly, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. I mean, there's this. I think common misconception that you know Lionsgate owns everything, and that's <laughs> not the case. But um, you know, it all has to deal with licensing, the terms that you know the producer had. Um, so I mean, we we just honestly we, we find out who would be best to contact, and you know just ask him, yeah, and 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 kind of go from there. But it's uh, finding the people, 
Um, and then also, also sometimes there's private funders, you know, for a film that wasn't labeled in the movie at all, and you have to find that person. Right. That's happened a couple times, too. Yeah. So that gets confusing. It's sort of being like Indiana Jones of paperwork in some cases. You just got to sit Yeah, no, it. it's it's honestly like a lot of it's stuff like uh, stuff online, tax returns, something like that for the film, you know, something that got granted from the state, the city that yeah. they filmed in, something, Man. you know, something with a name. You know, that's basically what it is. All that fun, sexy stuff. Right? Yeah. You have to yeah, source uh, uh, the source material, too. I imagine everything from 35 to uh, VHS to beta to 8 millimeter, even, maybe. Well, I mean, we, we always try to do the original camera negative mm -hmm. first. And then, you know, if we have to do the inner positive or the inner negative, we do that. And very rarely do we do a 35 millimeter print. Um, but anything else, uh, I mean, other than the VHS for The Undertaker, uh, no, not not any of that. It's mainly original camera negative and the IP okay. is what we try to sort because that's the what you can get the 4K right. restoration out of. You can't really do that with a print. Um, so, like a, a couple of our films, just because you know we know that nothing exists, we'll you know scan a print of the film. I think like the telephone book. One of our earlier titles is right. just the 35 millimeter print. Yeah, and in those cases, it's basically it's this or obscurity. So we're going to go with yeah, and we don't yeah. want films to disappear, right. you know. And that's that's the main thing is that you know we we, we try uh, so, but there are films where negatives are gone. Yeah, there were no prints. So what do you do? Yeah, you no, know? it's a good point. I mean, we were talking. Uh, Tom and I were talking a few weeks ago about how uh, so many titles. I, I mean, I guess. We talked about London After Midnight, but the, what, we, how we talked about for years that they they assumed they had most of uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, and then they would keep finding pieces, right. and then they found that huge one in South America, Brazil, had, Brazil, yeah, the Brazil, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it had so. I still still think there's a couple of minutes missing, but like it's the closest to complete they've ever like, gotten. Last I heard, there was like a one and a half minutes missing, right? Which is kind of miraculous for a movie that long from that long ago that they were ever able to piece that together. But considering that's, how often it was cut, right? When exactly. it went out, it yeah. was short, good um, long movie. So I, yeah, I think about like. And one of the reasons I'm glad you could come in today is because I feel like this is a conversation that a lot of younger film fans and filmmakers aren't really having, which is uh, preservation of the past. The, I guess you would call it the recent past. I think there's a lot of work being done for people trying to save uh, silent movie titles and films that would be considered classics that are maybe not being treated all that well in, in the catalogs of uh, the studios that own them. But what's not getting uh, looked at is stuff that... And oftentimes, I, I think we could we can take sort of places like um, film programs and um, and even like f uh, not film studios but like repertory theaters and stuff to task for treating them as if they're a different tier of film and therefore not treating them with the same respect and quality that they treat older titles. And unfortunately, that's going to lead to a lot of them getting lost. So what you guys are doing is actually super important because there's going to be a point at which all the titles from the 70s, we look at the way that people now look at titles from the 1910s and the 1920s, you know? Yeah. And if somebody's not doing what you guys are doing to preserve it, there's just going to be just as many lost titles, you know? And I think the reason that they're valuable, when we look at in the 1910s and 1920s, that was the establishing of filmmaking as a rule. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, that was when independent filmmaking came about. So if you guys don't preserve it now, when we look back to the birth of modern independent cinema, we will have lost so much stuff if we're not having people like you saving it so that generations later we'll see what independent cinema looked like when it was first born. You know, well, The studios uh, reclaimed... Everything pre-1950, I think most of that, it was like a third of the films are lost. Yeah. Because they were reclaimed for silver. Silver right. nitrate. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and that's that's the thing is that you'll find uh, the oddest thing sometimes as, as when you're when you're looking. You know, there's uh, another common misconception is that uh, you know one word gets out like, oh, this will never see the light of day, and then that's what's said. But people like us, we still continue to look because we right. do find that stuff. You know, it's just uh, you know, I mean, it really is kind of Indiana Jones, I guess you could say. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, and to piggyback off something you said earlier was uh you know uh you know this is going to run out eventually uh, people say that but it's uh, there's number one there's so many films yeah still that we haven't even touched or even looked at yet right um many, all companies like there's a lot of companies that are doing this you know severin arrow code red right. scorpion releasing um uh i mean screen factory uh, criterion's doing stuff um but there's just so many titles, and and we there are some foreign films mixed in there. But when we get into foreign cinema, that's a whole another ball game. Right. I mean, this is endless. No, it's and true. People don't people don't realize. I mean, we're not even close to being done with stuff that was filmed in America. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you mean, just you just said a couple minutes ago. I don't remember if it was on air or not, but you said you're getting ready to put out the 300th title that you guys have done, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's just stuff you guys were saying is basically from the people in the company remembering uh, things. That's not even like you said, scouring yeah, to look yeah. for stuff you aren't. Aware and a lot of, of those. I mean, a lot of those too. I mean, we have 300 physical releases but i mean some of those are double bills and triple bills that right. we've done so there's uh, plenty plenty of films that uh, we we've done uh, that's mostly on the hardcore titles but i mean even even that with the hardcore titles i mean there's a there's a lot of stuff out there that uh, hasn't been really touched upon so you know it's just it's just a matter of time well, and, for the and first uh, four or five years of hardcore it was uh, shot on film yeah, and there, I mean, there's some pretty good films. Yeah, that's and that's another thing is that I, I don't think people realize is that even when I'm, I just got back from uh, Spooky Empire um, that was in um, Tampa this uh, this time around, um, you know, at the booth, I, I mainly have you know the the horror titles and stuff like that on the table because there are kids that come up and you know, I don't want a kid right. picking up pretty peaches and be like whoa you know even though that's what I was like when I was little but you know we have that stuff kind of like tucked tucked away that if somebody's interested that is picking up a couple titles you or a few titles you know okay you might be a fan right. we have some you hardcore titles behind the curtain like but a lot of people say well you know they'll pick up like three or four titles and we also have you know hardcore and then they're like what porno and I'm like yeah and they're like oh no and I'm like, well, like, I know there's that dismiss, like, you know, like you mentioned uh, Mona the other day. Was that yeah. Mona, the um, the virgin nymph, I think is what it's what Yeah, it's there's a, there was another early one called Harlot. Yeah. That's, uh, they're, they're not bad. I mean, and, you know, we have, bad. like, Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls, which is one of my favorites. Uh, Pretty Peaches, Liquid Assets, Corporate Assets, all those are really fun. But also it was, like, one of those things where you didn't really know that it was a hardcore film. And now it's just the titles right out there, like you know, right. anal attack, or <laughs> 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 something like that. It's not film anymore. It's like a lot of these these films, like from the seventies and eighties. They literally, like, you didn't even know it was a hardcore film until thirty minutes in, when the actual scenes started happening. Right. There were stories. There was well, framing. That's, that's there, what I was going to say. It's actually they they were closer to being films uh, than they were to being what we would consider modern day pornography. Right. Um, yeah. In fact, was, I'm trying to remember the name of the director that was. It was he was uh, Orson Welles, a cinematographer. He directed a film called 3 a.m. And actually, Orson Welles.
Wells edited one of the sequences in the movie, which was a, it was a hardcore film. Three a.m. Um, Three a.m. was, was it George, Georgina Spelman. I don't I, I don't remember who it was a director, yeah, but, but it was it was a hardcore film from the seventies. It was around the same time that they were still they were still working on several movies. You I've know, seen that. You movie. know, Orson Welles is making five six at a time, and none of them ever came to completion. But the cinematographer, or maybe the camera operator he was working with, was making hardcore films on the side to pay the bills. And I, in in exchange for helping, uh, like Orson Welles was like, I want you to work on this project. I don't have a lot of flush cash. He edited a sequence in three a.m. for him, and apparently I, I don't know where, but online there was a point at which they just showed the Orson Welles sequence but like that that was the way it was back then there wasn't as such a a strong line drawn between the two I would almost argue it's closer to the sort of like uh, art house French stuff like um, you know blue is the warmest color being uh, having content in it but it also being a separate storyline that has a beginning middle and end narration performance you know like like an actual film title as opposed to what it's sort of become now and and it's honestly it's uh, you know a, a lot of these older hardcore titles there's a ton of story and then the sex scenario is like three minutes long right and now it's three minutes of the story and then the scenario of or the sex scene is 30 minutes long right exactly it's all changed and you know it's i you know there are people that are trying out there like you know alex braun and leroy myers and stuff like that but uh you know for the most part of of these titles back in the day they they are Pure movies, right? You know, it is entertainment. Some of them are really, really good. I think you guys offer uh, the opening of Misty Beethoven, don't you? No, that was um, um, uh, Distribute. Dist- maybe it's one of your one of the picks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's as I recall, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty very good, good, pretty good movie. Yeah. So. so if people want to, first of all, where do they go to find Vinegar Syndrome? Where, like, where would people find titles or either online or is there a place where... Yeah, I mean, I, the best place to honestly get stuff, I mean, our stuff's on Amazon and, you know, you can actually, uh, a good place to go that is a good pal of mine is uh, uh, Grindhouse Video in mm-hmm. Tampa. Um, Mike Sandlin has a store there. He has uh, plenty, he has all types of, uh, I mean, he has everything. Stuff yeah. from Laserdisc to... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Is it VCDs? Yes, the video, yep, the, video, the, the video top discs, loader. Yep. The, yeah, the big, the big like floppy disks things. Um, uh, he has he has those laser disc VHS. Yeah, numerous DVDs. Yeah, tiny, and he's and he's not even a local resource. He deliver. I mean, he delivers everywhere too. So you know, even if you go online to yeah. his website. And uh, we're going to be, uh, we've been talking to Mike. He actually said he's probably going to come on the show. So that'll be great to talk to him about yeah, extended. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. But I mean, honestly, some of the best deals and things like that you'll get through our website, vinegarsyndrome.com. And then November 28th or 29th to December 3rd is our massive uh, Black Friday sale, which, I mean, a lot of people know about that. And, you know, it's the best deals that you'll find anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff is half price, everything like that. Uh, you know, give a chance to people to, you know, I, I always like it. Um, even if I was not part of uh, the company, um, I bought during Black Friday too before before my time, you know, because there's always those titles that like, oh, I want this, that for sure. But a lot of people, it's hard to blind buy. And, yeah. you know, the, the one, I wouldn't say downfall or negative anything about, aspect of the company but we do release a lot of titles that people do not know mm-hmm. at all like there's no history with it they didn't even hear the name right. ever you know so basically they're going off of uh extremely low imdb ratings 
<laughs> or word of mouth from people. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it's just like, oh my god, I can't believe this is being released. But nothing really about the movie. So it gives a chance for people to fill in, yeah. you know, kind of maybe on the fence they were, you know, to blind buy a few titles. And honestly, that's <laughs> when people blind buy, that's the biggest reaction, mm-hmm. obviously, for people because one, they stumbled into something that they had no idea about, they spent money on it, right. and then they loved it. Yeah. You know, that, that's a good feeling. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's like you discovered something yourself or anything like that. So it's obviously the biggest, you know, reaction that you have out of people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, our stuff's available anywhere. Diabolic DVD, Hamilton yeah. Books. I mean, we're everywhere. Yeah, and, and if people get lucky enough to catch a, a show, a convention of some sort that you guys are at, that's a great resource, too, because then you're talking to someone involved in the company about the titles, too, so they have a lot of knowledge. And if they, if they can get a sense of what you like, they know what to recommend to you, which is right. a big thing, I think, sometimes, especially with a blind buy. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at two or three titles, I'm like, I don't really know anything about these, but I've already had three in my bag, and you can see what three I have. You can steer me towards, oh, you know what, this seems like it's going to be your speed if that's the other stuff you're interested in yeah and that's a big thing when i and and for those that don't live in tampa and you don't have grindhouse video we do numerous conventions all over the united states um we do film festivals of course so always look at your local conventions to see if we're there if we're not send us a message and we'll definitely look into it um but that's one thing that i always do is that a lot of people come up to the table and either they've heard of us and they don't know what to do because it's overwhelming um (laughs) Or they just don't know at all. They just like movies, but they don't haven't really dived into the nitty gritty stuff yet. Right. You know, it's your Friday the Thirteenth. You know, Nightmare right. Elm Street fans, which They're, is fine. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I always, I love when people haven't seen a movie or don't know anything because I get to live vicariously through them, like speaking about the film. Or even showing a friend something. You know, I, I'm never one of those people that are like, oh, you haven't seen this. And then you get that so much in the horror community. Yeah. It's like, who cares? Yeah, like, that they literally stuff. get to yeah. watch the movie for the first time. That's cool. Because yep. I can never experience that again. Yep, that's gone for I me. can never watch the movie again for the first time. I can watch it with somebody. And that way, right. I feel that. I can, yep. I'm too busy watching them the entire time. Yeah. You know, I don't care about the movie. I want to see their reaction. But uh, it's a common question is that, you know, what do you recommend? And uh, my first question after that is, what do you like? Yeah. You know, do you like slimy, gory stuff? Do you like exploitation? You know, what, and eventually they'll say, well, I like stuff like this. And then it's like, oh, that title. You You know, and then you hand it to them. And, you know, basically any film that I really love, I have a pitch for, you know. Yep. Um, And I'm honest with people. Like if, you know, they're like, do you like this? And I'm like. Not so much, but this you'll like, you know, because that's the thing is, you know, I always I always tell people, and maybe not everybody would agree with this as far as a business standpoint, is that if someone comes up and picks up something and has no idea what it is, I want to make sure that I think 100% that they'll like the movie. Right. Because if they don't like the movie, they're not going to come back to the label. Exactly. Like, if so if I if they pick up something that I don't like and they're like, oh, is this good? And as a business person, I'm like, yes, because I want to make the sale. Yeah. They're going to go home and watch something that I think maybe they won't like, and now they're not going to come back. Right, exactly. There's so many times at festivals and things, they're like, oh, you told me about these three movies. Like, I just had it on the just online the other day. Somebody directly messaged me, and this made me feel really good, is that he said, you talked me into three titles at Fantastic Fest. And I loved all those. I just went ahead and pre-ordered the bundle because oh, I, that's you know, and I'm like, 
that's that's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, if he would have picked up just three random things to buy things, he maybe he would have never been a uh, customer, returning right. customer. Exactly. Well, you know, you're doing you're doing God's work out there. And we try. I, I just noticed we've been talking so much. I, I blooped right past our our closing time, so oh, we're going to skip the uh, the mascot for this week, and we're going to start to wrap out. But Brad, thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, thanks. And uh, as always, we say it's it was a fantastic conversation. It's an open door policy. If you guys want to come back on, yeah. Anytime there's new titles coming out, you guys have an appearance or something, please feel free to come back because it's been a great conversation. And I think I think people uh, having this stuff illuminated for them, it only behooves them searching more stuff out getting more excited about it so anytime you guys have something else you want to talk about please let us know and i'd like to add that the quality of these uh, releases oh we take pride oh man They're, it's beautiful they're beautiful yeah. yeah absolutely so really? if uh you know if you get a chance go to their website check it out probably follow them on social media that way you'll know if they're doing appearances near where you are and uh tom thank you for coming in again i know there was some stuff we didn't get a chance to talk about because hey. the conversation was so fascinating but there's another time exactly. another there's always next week so we will talk to you guys again soon if you want to follow us on twitter it's at little movie bits and we will talk to you again next tuesday